this will be first focusing on verse 8, but I want to read the, ver the words leading up to it. It's a scenario with God and Joshua. Here we go. It says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot <clears throat> shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then shalt thou then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. I look at this passage, and I look at our, um, the subject matter we're going to talk about today is practicing God-centered meditation, okay? We're going to talk about that and the importance of it. Um, as you can already see in this passage, <clears throat> Joshua is getting ready. God is getting Joshua ready even more to fill some big shoes, and in this case, to fill a, a very important role of being a leader. It's not um, always uh, uh, without, you know, immense feeling of gravity to be able to take over a, a job in leadership. I mean, any president, left or right, that has to fill in the Oval Office, that's a big deal. And I hope they feel like it's a big deal, so much so that they would even get on their knees and say, God, what's your vision for this country? Even if they, you know, don't normally do that. But it's a big deal taking over and having a leadership role, even if it, whether it's a small or something of large scale. And this is certainly of large scale. And so God is getting Joshua some last-minute coaching. He'll still speak to him, of course, in, this, in, this, in his life. And... This is one of the times where the Bible uses the word success. I think it's the only time in the King James Bible that it uses the word success. It means to be, you'll move forward. It'll come out, the outcome will be good. And one of the keys to um, Joshua's success, well, well, for one, a couple of the things that are part of his success is God says, I'm going to be with you. That should pretty much take care of just about everything. But God also gives us a free will to work with him. So he says, I will be with you, God says. But then you um, don't go to this way. You know Moses, the law I gave Moses. Don't go to that. Don't go, don't go all left off. Go, go left. Don't go ultra right. Just stay with it. That's what he says. Yeah. Don't go to the left. Don't go to the right. Just stay with it. And that's how we should be about our Christian life. There's always something wants us to go this way or this way. But we need to go straight. 
Okay? So he says, don't go to the left. Don't, don't go to the right. Don't go to the left. And then he said, um, be strong too. I told you I'm with you, so act like it. Be strong and of good courage. I'm with you. And then he says, now, and, and then he goes back and says, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. And there's an imagery there of, of tasting and, and keeping something in your mouth. Don't let it depart. This, the scripture, not that he's literally eating it, but he's likening it to a food or something that you have. He goes, don't, it should not depart out of thy mouth. Where he's like, I don't taste that anymore. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate there. And so now he uses the word we would grasp, meditate, ruminate, to, 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 to muse on, to contemplate, but thou shalt meditate therein as a fanatic day and night so that you can be a wonderful Bible scholar, intellectual, smarter than everybody else. No, that you may meditate therein day and night, always have that flavor, that savor of what I've been saying to you all the time, spiritually, intellectually, in your mouth, so that you can observe to do all of it. That's what God says. And one key aspect of his success running through the law. Read my law today. Or I've read the Torah 27 times this year. That's not what God cared about so much. He says, meditate therein. Take time to savor it. So God tells Joshua, as we just read the scripture, and we're going to look at other scriptures, that one of the keys to his success was not just merely knowing about the Bible or knowing facts of life, meditating in it such that it has an effect on everything you begin to do. I can tell what most people are meditating on if I spend a little time with them. I can already tell. You're thinking about that series of whatever movies all the time because it's just flopping out of your mouth all the time. And there's this and it's on your shirts, not everywhere else, you know. I can tell what you meditate on. Shows. And so the Bible talks about the idea of meditation. My dad and I ran a body shop, many of you know that, for years, and we sold it to some employees, and they're actually, most, several of them are in the Spanish ministry now, not that they were before we sold it, but it just, the Lord used that relationship to bring them here. Um, but years ago, there was a guy that, so my dad and I did, paint and body work on old cars, hot rods, classic cars, not so much new cars. <clears throat> and so sometimes we had a need to have somebody that was a little more specialized than even we were. And there was this guy named Johnny Miller, who's an old dude. To me, he's an old dude. He's probably late 60s or maybe early 70s. And so he actually was, he actually was, he kind of floats around. He's like freelance. He's a metal, we called him a metal man. And he did a little bit of, we hire him sometimes to fix something special for us that I couldn't do or dad couldn't do. And then there was another guy that rented a stall from us and he would hire Johnny to do some work for him. So this Johnny guy was a metal man. So here's what that meant. He could do two things really good. Um, he could fix a... So like we worked with cars like the cars in the 20s and 30s and 40s and all that where <clears throat> you might not always find the part. You're not gonna, I mean, some call it AutoZone or you know, AutoNation, they're not going to have that part, you know, you, or some salvage yards. Sometimes you had to take a mangled 
fender and really work it out and hammer it back out and everything. And we can do that to a certain extent, but some of our customers have said, I want no Bondo, no Bondo. Bondo is a little filler to help you kind of finish it out. And there's nothing wrong with it. There really isn't if you do it right. But some of them are like, I don't want any Bondo in this. We're like, it's going to cost you. We have to hire Johnny Miller to come in. Johnny Hammer, that's what his nickname. Johnny Hammer. That's what we called him. Johnny Hammer would come in and he'd do his thing on this guy's mangled up fender because he didn't want Bondo on it. And he paid a lot of money for that guy to fix a, you know, a, a round fat fender from some 30s or 40s vehicle just so that the owner of it, after spending all his money, could say, see that? It's no Bondo in there. You know, how much it cost you? Two grand, you know, for the fender. Anyway, so that's fine. We didn't care. You, you know, if that's what you want. So this guy, he was really good. It was impressive. So he could fix a mangled up fender with a, a little torch. I'm not kidding. This is the truth. A little torch, because you heat and shrink, heat and shrink. A torch, file, hammer, ding, 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 a little dolly on the back, and a wet rag. Wet rag is to kind of heat and shrink, heat and shrink, and you just kind of, he had just an, it was such a unique art to it. I think there's still guys that do that. I just haven't met them. Or, or if he couldn't make, he could make, sometimes he could just make one. And that was expensive too. I saw him make a hood. I think it was a hood for a 37 Ford. Isn't that right? Out of aluminum? Okay. Yeah. I mean, so this guy, he was really good fabricator. Like beyond, and he just, and he'd take his time. He's kind of a, Funny old dude, he liked to smoke a pipe, and I told you one time, he came walking in, saw me going in and out of a dusty room, even though I was wearing a dust mask, going in and out of a dusty room, standing, he comes walking around and he's like, you see that stuff right there? All the Bondo dust. He's like, that stuff will kill you. <laughs> walks off puffing on his, walks off puffing on his uh, pipe, I'm like, all right, Johnny. So, but here's what my dad would say about Johnny Hammer. Because we bad and they were fascinated. That's pretty cool what he does, you know. Have a fender perfectly ready just for some primer and sand it down a few times and paint it, no bondo. And dad would say, that's a lost art. I mean, it's harder to find that. Isn't there some lost arts even right now that we can think of? Look, I, I, my wife and I have we can there's some lost arts that we can do. Watch this, kids. Teens, I wrote my wife a letter, <laughs> handwritten. <laughs> and you know what she did to me? She wrote me a letter one time, not you know, uh, in a card, with cursive. <laughs> that is a lost art. So, and then what else is lost art? Sewing, right? Sewing, knitting. Yeah, some of y'all do that here. It's fine. There's different things that are, uh, that are lost arts. So some have said meditation for the modern Christian is a lost art. Now, I mean God-centered meditation is a lost art. But we don't even just have to think of it in that sense. But it's also, we could say, it's something that God actually tells us to do. Whereas he didn't tell me I have to sew. He didn't tell me I have to use cursive. That's a give or take. But this he says I should do. So meditation is a lost art. It means, so biblical meditation, okay, I'm just not, I'm not just going to give you the, <clears throat> the plain 
generic, it would be sustained state of focus on God. To muse, to contemplate. Ah, wait a minute. I'm not talking about this New Age stuff. Because New Agers and non-Christians and pagans and even people that cop themselves as religious but have a little what, something gospel that's off with them, which is the word meditate. I mean, Oprah Winfrey, we mentioned that a while back. She had her little thing of meditating, finding herself, and she doesn't need anybody and any teachers except her yoga teacher, apparently. She doesn't need anybody. She has all the answers within her. And she meditated herself into finding that. I'm not talking about kind of a new age thing or, you know, you know, balancing the karma in your life somehow because you went to Sedona and sat on a rock, crossed your legs and went like that. I'm not talking about some weird thing like that because that language is out there. Oh, you meditate too? Yeah. But it's, wait a minute, what do you mean? So we're talking about a Christian, Christian thing. So it says in the New Testament, the Old Testament, thou shalt, to this leader, thou shalt meditate therein, in particular the Scripture. And we're going to look at it beyond that. And then in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 4.15, it tells another leader, Timothy, who was, who was handed this epistle by Paul. It told him all these pastoral instructions and everything. And then Paul finally says in this epistle, he says to Timothy, meditate in, on these things. And give thyself wholly to them, why? That thy profiting may appear to all. Timothy, if you just run through this little pastoral book and said, I, wrote, I read another book on pastoring and run your way, that's not going to profit you. But if you meditate on what I just said, Timothy, and give yourself wholly to it, it'll show that you've profited. So the idea of meditation. Um, it's part of Joshua's success. It's a part of... Ours. Think about this. What kind of world are we living in right now? What kind of uh, pace, what kind of uh, approach do we have in reading something, watching something, listening to somebody? It's like, hurry. You hurry. You hurry. You know, and, and we're almost been groomed to be like that. We have, of course, we have fast food. We have fast internet, which I'm good with that. We have fast information retrieval. You know, we have everything's like, go, quick, quick. We have a fast, you know, uh, uh, you, know you, can, you can watch a 30-minute program and uh, a show where a problem is presented and there's conflict, there's a solution, and it resolves, and you're, ah, after 30 minutes, and it's all fixed. And we think, so we're in this quick, quick, quick mentality. Uh, oh, I know. I mean, you could download something really fast on your phone or whatever, or through the cloud or whatever, just nip, and all of a sudden, yeah, I just got like 10 million words on my phone are just downloaded in 10 seconds, you know, of something or whatever. You, you see what I'm saying? We can instantly just soak in all this stuff, but it's really just here. It's not here or here yet, you know, and we think that that can translate into our Christian, the way we function in our Christianity, so that we come to church and say, like, hey man, one hour services. And if it's any longer than that, oh, no, but you'll watch, you'll do a marathon of Star Wars. <laughs> then I'm serious. This will do you better. If we have a few long services, it ought to be because the pastor has something to say. Right, 
I don't want to say, you need to be here because I don't really, I have to have something to say or I should shut up and leave. The pastor needs to have something to say. There needs to be some purpose in the service. If we need to sing a lot more songs, maybe because we feel the Lord. So if it's longer, it's longer. It'd probably do us good if we know the Lord is in it. But the idea is sometimes we think, well, I, I did this really fast. I learned this really fast. I, I, um, I did all these things quick. But, but so we translate that to how we learn about God. God, just download some stuff to fix me right now. Download it through the cloud right now while I'm in church. He's like, no, wait a minute. Maybe he's gonna. Maybe he wants you to learn something over this next week and meditate for about seven days on something, and that will affect you. Maybe he wants to marinate you in some Bible truth that Brother Rusty been teaching, or somebody else, or the pastor here, or something that you already read, and it's gonna soak it in you instead of just just fix me really fast. Um, so we have all this high-speed stuff, and we translate that sometimes the way we approach worship and the way we approach learning from God, and it doesn't always um, work well. Um, so here's a question. What? So we could look at a bunch of stuff. There's, there's 20 times. Okay, so in the Bible... 20 times this word or one of the forms of the words used. Um, two, one of the times, it's in a negative sense. You'd have to read the prophecy in Isaiah. The other time, Jesus says, hey, when you're called, you've been, you've been uh, living for me, and you're snatched up, and you're arrested, and they put you in jail. Don't even worry about what you're going to say when they put you in the trial. Don't meditate beforehand. I'll give you something. So there's a, there's a couple of us, but most of the other ones are more of a God-centered contemplating. So what in particular do I meditate on? I want to answer that question for you with the Bible, with a few sampling verses of several. What do I meditate on? You know, when you, some of you might right now in your refrigerator have something marinating in the fridge, you know. You have chicken and there's barbecue sauce on it or something or a steak or whatever. You have something, you thought... I guarantee if it was a guy, he thought about what he's going to marinate his steak in. You know, he thought about it before he did it. It's not going to be just anything. Same thing with us. What am I marinating my mind in? Okay, what should we do? Okay, this is going to be really simple. It's five points. They're all just kind of centered around God. So, number one, all these points right here. What do I meditate on? Meditate on the goings-on about me. I don't know if that's the proper way of putting it, but you know what I'm saying, don't you? The goings-on. What's going on? You know, you need to think about what's going on around you and not just keep pressing and threshing through life and all of a sudden you're like, what is happening? Okay, first mention, Genesis 24, 63. It's just, just something in passing. We're not going to make too much hay of this. It's just an observation of, uh, of Isaac. Genesis 24, Isaac is a single guy. He's probably about 40 years old. His mother died recently in some recent years. He's managing his father's assets, some wells, some cattle, some people. He, all he knows is in this passage in chapter 24 is that his dad had a servant who's been gone for maybe even a few months looking for him, a wife for him. And so here's Isaac in Genesis 20, um, verse 63, the end of his work day. He goes out, verse 63, he went out to meditate, verse 63, in the field, in the eventide, 
And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. And Rachel lifted up, or Rebecca rather, lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. I'm not going to just make more than just this. Here's this guy, and he's, he's about to get married, actually. But what does it say? The Bible purposely puts words in there. Here's a guy who, he's, he's at the end of his day, and he's out in the field, and he's just sitting there, he's just meditating. He's musing. You know, the word, another way of uh, describing meditate is uh, even to speak under your breath. There's a really, really ancient definition that says to go out for a walk. It's interesting. So he's just there. Perhaps he's thinking about his, he's mourning over his mom still because the Bible says a few verses later he was comforted after that. He's mourning over his mother. Maybe he's thinking about the, the management, as I mentioned, of, <laughs> of his dad's, Abraham was rich. The wells, the people, the cattle, the, the other countrymen that were about him. Maybe he was thinking about how he did that day. He's meditating. Maybe he's just thinking about his life, like what's going on? Maybe he's thinking about, man, I hope that servant comes back soon. I wonder what my wife's going to look like. And then next thing he knows, he sees the camels coming. Whoa, there she is. She jumps off the camel. She puts her veil down, made it a special thing, and pretty soon they were married. But the whole, the whole idea was that he's pondering. It looks like he's just thinking around about his life, thinking about things about him. Sometimes people don't even pay attention to what's happening around them. They're not, or, or, or come to the end of your day and, and, and sit down and think, what happened today? What did my wife say to me again? You better remember that one. I take notes. It's valuable for me, what she says. What happened to me? Well, think about it. Medit- that's part of meditating. Meditating on the goings on about you. In fact, um, sometimes we don't retain anything. We just keep going from one thing to another. Do you remember? Okay. Remember the last thing that pastor preached? Some of you do. No. You don't have to tell me. Like, I'm going to come after you. But just think, do I even, what did I, what happened? What was that? You go to church, oh, it's good church service. What was it about? I don't know. <laughs> now, sometimes it's with age, we're going to be like, okay, what was that? You know, but here's the thing. Sometimes, okay, so I'll give you an example. My kids, so we homeschool. We've done it mostly homeschool most of the time. Uh, but especially my four oldest. So, um, so we would do, this is what's cool about homeschooling. In fact, my son, Michael, the other day, he's married, has two kids, one more on the way. He's like, Dad, we went to Woods Canyon. Like, he goes, Dad, there's a lot of people down there. Because he went on a Friday and Saturday. He's like, did we? I said, no way. We're not going on Friday. We're homeschoolers. We can make our weekend anytime. You know? And so we'd go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, not usually Wednesday, but Monday or Tuesday, sometimes a Thursday. Like, yeah, we went to we went there. There's hardly anybody there, right? It's fun, huh? Yeah, that's right. That's what you got to do. So, so by the way, I'm not trying to elevate us, our, our style better than anybody else. I'm just saying if you're going to, there's a benefit. Okay. So anyways, I would tell, so my wife and I sometimes would take our kids, the younger ones, I'm thinking of the older ones now. We'd go, okay, we're going to do an Audi. We're going to go to the natural bridge north of Payson. We'd go to the natural bridge and see some cool things. And one time we saw some... Um, Height javelina chasing or running in the parking lot while we're driving, and that was funny. And we did the hike, and we saw some other things and squirrels. And we 
went to Denny's. We always like the Denny's there. Then we went home and, and then whatever. If it's like a day like that with my four oldest, usually what I would do is like the next school day, I'll say, okay, I don't want you to do. I'd say, write a little report on what you did. <laughs> no, I'm just asking for one page. That's it. Just what did you do? What'd you do? What'd you see? What'd you like? And it was kind of like, no. And here's why I did it. For I don't know about you, but for my kids, it was like, well, you do the fun thing. Okay, now what's next? Forget that. Okay, now what's next? That was cool. Okay, now what's next? Okay, now what's next? Okay, what's next? It's like you just shed the last. Okay, that was cool. That was cool. And you just keep going and going through the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And you're like, do you remember what we just did? Huh? What? We never get to go anywhere. Yes, we did. Yesterday, remember? Oh, yeah. See, that's why. Because here's the thing. You wouldn't think about what you just did. See, I have a, I don't have a, I kind of have a moderate amount of memories as a kid, like what we did as a family, which wasn't a ton of things, and things that happened. You know why? Because I'm like, huh, I think about it when we're driving. I think about what. You know, where we're going to, or where we just left. Now, after a while, I'm sure I was saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I'm sure I said that. But I'm saying, nobody gives themselves time to think about what just happened. So, I'm just, I think meditation helps. Number two, another thing, what do I meditate on? Well, we've said this, God's word. He says, thou shalt to this leader. If you want to be successful, this is part of it. You shall do this. You keep that taste in your mouth. Day and night. In Psalm 1, 2, his delight, the, the profitable, the fruitful man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And again, this guy's a fanatic too. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. Are you telling me he thinks about it? Are you saying this guy in Psalm 1-2, when he leaves church, he still thinks about the Bible or he might read it another time? Yeah, he's a fanatic. And he produces a lot of fruit in his life too. You mean he thinks about God's Word when it's outside of church time? Yes, because it's going to guide his thoughts and guide his actions and it has authority over him when he leaves the address. And it's not just a nice little religious routine. God's word I need to meditate on. Why? So that it actually affects my obedience. Here's how I've been before. I've done this before. One time we had a we had a computer, we had our regular desktop computer, and then I got a printer. I bought this printer. I'm like, get the printer, open the box, throw the instructions aside, plug it in, dun, 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 dun. try to do Wi-Fi stuff. And I'm like, it's not working. It's not working. Why can't I get this work? Go to my computer. Go to the tray. Is this thing And I'm trying to get it all coordinated and synced and all. I couldn't do it. I'm working on it for an hour. And I'm like, oh, man. Uh, all right, here it goes. Humble thyself here. Take the instructions out. Oh, there's some kind of code. Oh, some kind of code. Oh, I got to, oh, and that, oh, okay. And then the software, oh, okay. And so what I was, the Bible says, he that hasteth with his feet sinneth. And so I was hasting, and I should have took time to think for a few moments about the instructions so that I would be successful when I went to 
do that. And so the same thing with God's Word. It's like you learned a few quick verses and take off, but wait, what is God saying to you in church, in your devotions? It prepares me to live obediently. Number three, meditate on God's, the world, the goings around around you, God's Word, and then God. Now, we don't know God unless we're here first. You've got because so God's Word tells us who God is, but think about this. Think about God. Okay, I like this. So follow me now. We'll go to the Psalms. I've quoted some. Go to Psalm 63. This is beautiful. A few verses here. <coughs> Psalm 63. I like these two verses. Listen to how, what David says. Apparently, when he was in a wilderness... Psalm 63, 5 and 6, he says, My soul shall be satisfied as tomorrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. Psalm 63, verse 6, When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. Wow, what made David? This is savory. This is, makes me happy. This makes me praise God with joyful lips when, when, I, when I'm thinking about and remembering God on my bed and meditate on Him in the night watches. I think that we could share that same that David has. About, I was thinking about this the other day. I read in 1 Kings 8, Solomon builds this, I mean, God used Solomon to build this immaculate temple for the Lord. And then when he's done building it, I mean, Billions, probably, into it, the equivalent of. When he's done, he has this dedication service and all these, all these offerings and all this stuff and say, God, bless, and, and if we're in time of struggle and we pray here, bless us, and all this long, elaborate prayer. And finally, Solomon says, <laughs> he's like, but will God very much indeed to dwell in this place? Oh, look, I build a house for your name. He goes, but wait, Solomon says, the heaven? Even the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house that I've builded? And I thought that I, I thought about that. And Rusty has mentioned this well last week, I think, about the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. So how far does the heaven of heavens go? Endless. God's bigger than his universe, right? And then in the Bible, so think about that. Whoa, right? And then the Bible says. Uh, there's a psalm, there's a verse in uh, Psalm 119.6, about 113, verse 6. It says that God humbleth himself to see, to behold the things that are in heaven and in earth. Now, what do I have to do to see some of the things in earth? I have to go up and look around, exalt myself. I especially have to exalt myself to see what's in heaven. God has to humble himself to take a peek at everything down there. And ultimately, and the ultimate humbling was of his son, amen, who confined himself to time and space in a body sinless and humbled himself and evermore a life of relative obscurity and evermore forsaken and gone to the cross, he humbled himself. But, but just thinking about God, it's good to just think about God. Now, obviously, you're not going to have everything figured out. That's actually comforting, the fact that I don't have everything figured out about God, because if I did... You know, I'd be, seem like I might be as greater, greater than him. But meditate on God himself. And you don't really have much to meditate on until you see some of the things he says about himself.
Number three, God's world, the world about us that he's made. Psalm 77, 11. So let's go there, a couple verses here. Psalm 77, 11, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. Now he's talking about things God did, his work, and then things of old, wonders of old. And then Psalm 8 talks about, the psalmist says, when I consider the heavens, the work of thy hands, and all the stars that you've made, what is man that you're mindful of him? You've made him over all the, have dominion over all the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air. What he's doing is he's contemplating everything God, just natural creation. That's fascinating. It, I, the older I get, you've heard me say this, I'm becoming more and more fascinated with just simply with God's creation, the older I get. When I was younger, I'd be like, okay, that's cool. All right, so, you know. I'm thinking, whoa, that is cool. And I, and, I, and I know it sounds really corny and everything, but even one time standing in this kitchen here, in the middle of the week working, taking a little break, and I saw this fly, fly on the, land on the window, and I was just looking, I'm like, I hate flies, quite frankly. But I was looking, I'm like, God, it's really cool. I'm serious, I'm like, who, can a man make that? He can't even make up. He can't even make the things we despise. He can't even make a fly. I'm like, that is really cool. That little fly, isn't it? God built it, made it in such a way it can reproduce itself, and it gets on our nerves and stuff like that. But it's really cool. And I think, God, you're really cool. I mean, I hate snakes. I really hate them. But the way of a snake is, wow, that's really neat. Going up, even I think there's a proverb that talks about climbing a rock, a snake. Wow, look at that. God's really cool, you know. And then the whole, the whole universe and constellations and all the other things out there, wow. Think about God's world. Did you know, this is, this is really, really cool. Go back and look at some of the fathers of many of our modern branches of science, like oceanography and bacteriology or some of these other things, these branches of science, and many of them were Christians. Did you know that? And they were people who were thought about the God of creation, and they discovered an aspect of his creation and brought it to the public and organized it, presented it in books, and people thought they're the one, most wonderful thing in the world when they were just really thinking about the God who made it. Number, what are we, five? Last one. So think about God's work around me. God doing in my life. That's a good thing to think about, right? What is God doing in my life? Sometimes that's hard to figure out. Maybe most of the time. But I should meditate on it. Let's look at a verse here. Uh, right? Well, the next one. Look at <clears throat> verse 12, Psalm 77. I will meditate also of thy, of thy work and talk of all thy doings. It sounds current there. What does the psalmist say? I'm going to think about your work. God, what have you been doing? Talk of thy doings. Psalm 77, 12. 
What's God doing? What is he doing in your life? Do you ever think about it? Again, a lot of time, maybe half the time I think about it, I'm not sure, but it's still worth thinking about. And the other half, I'm like, okay, I think I see he's doing this. The Bible says in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. You know what's interesting? Remember when, so in Matthew 1, you had Joseph takes Mary. They're just this type of engagement. They actually hadn't come together officially. Joseph has Mary. Mary, of course, is visited with the angel, told that she's going to be found with child of the Holy Ghost. It's of God. And so all Joseph knows is his wife. Like, what? His wife-to-be in a technical sense. She's with child. She's pregnant. Not me. And this is the only logical conclusion. I don't think he was thinking of virgin, virgin birth coming from Isaiah. He's like, oh my goodness. And you know what he could have done? He could have immediately taken her out, had her stoned, all this stuff, execution, but he didn't. And the Bible says, but while he thought on these things, <laughs> I'm glad he did. He took some time. He was paying. While he thought on these things, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, fear not to take unto thee thy wife Mary, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, not of you, not of man, it's of God. I'm glad he took a little time to think about, what's God doing in my life? This is incredible. In fact, actually, the Bible did say he thought about putting her away just privately to kind of do just like, let's just dismiss this and move on and be a prudent man about it. But he was thinking and thinking, and God used that time to show him what was happening. Thou shalt meditate therein. So again, we're talking about this because I know the world we live in. It's hurry up and move, hurry up and move, go, 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 go. But there needs to become moments where we say, let me think, God, what are you doing? God, what did you really say to me? Pause, think. God, what's happening around me? God, look what you made. Wow. And take the time to meditate. Now, anything I, that we're talking about right now can go too far, where you become head in the clouds all the time. You can't go too far with this. You know, like they always say, this one lady saw a shirt, says, wait a minute, let me overthink this a minute. You know, <laughs> and I know how that is. My wife and I sometimes have moments where, okay, we're overthinking. We're not talking about that. We're talking about things that are related to God himself, his words, he's teaching you, what's happening around you. Meditate. It's part of Joshua's success it was part of Timothy profiting from what was being taught him, and it certainly would be part of ours. Um, so on a phone, on our phone, you can pull up the screen time on my iPhone, and I could be like, what's Johnny's screen time? Because we got, we're coordinated with our phones. And then, or what's mine or my wife's? And it'll categorize it. Social media, this many minutes yesterday. Uh, texting, this many minutes or whatever, hours or whatever it is. Uh, you know, categorize the minutes, the time for social media, uh, tools, uh, texting, calls, internet browsing, and it categorizes every minute of like, if I spent six hours on my phone, it'll got it categorized. And then I'll have to go to one of my kids. That was you. That was you on YouTube. You spent all the time. It wasn't me, right? <laughs> no, but anyways, it'll categorize all that so I can tell where was I musing. Okay, so my question is, if there's a, if there's a category, if God pulled up kind of a screen time of your mind, what, what would the category of meditating 
on him be like? Is there anything? It shouldn't be the, in the sense of nobody's, nobody can get your attention because your head's in the clouds type of thing, but is there a, a decent amount where you're meditating? That's part of us succeeding as believers and going forward conscientiously in our decisions and thinking thoroughly about what God's telling us and implementing it in our life. Aren't you glad, though, this is the best part, is that God has thought on us. Psalm, the psalmist says, he says, Precious also are thy thoughts, Lord, unto me, and how great is the sum of them. God has thought on us. He's thought on you. Isn't that good? Especially, I mean, if you're his child, you know for sure he's thinking on me. You know? The Lord says, can a woman forget her sucking child? Can a, you know, somebody else forget their infant? They might. He goes, I will not. The, 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 one of the prophets said, he's thought, he's thought on us so much so that Jesus said, I came because the thief is coming to try to destroy and kill and swipe up your life. But I've come, came to this earth for you and I, that we might have life and have it more abundantly. He's thought on what we needed. He knows that we need life. We need eternal life. We need it abundantly. We need Him's help in this life. I'm glad He's thought on us, meditated on 